da, 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 da. podcast time. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast. It is episode one, and uh, in this week's episode, we're going to be talking Hemingway. Uh, I'm Ryan, and sitting across from me is my good friend and fellow host, Jacob. What's going on? Episode one. I'm excited. Super yes. excited. We're doing this whole thing. The bi-weekly book club shelf podcast <laughs> shenanigans where we read books that we've been meaning to read and maybe some that we haven't been meaning to read but have been suggested or ones that just jump off at us. You know what's great about making a book podcast, Ryan? No, this is our first episode, so I don't know what's okay. great about it. You know it. what I think is good about the idea of a book podcast? We will literally never run out of material. It's true. We could podcast for the rest of our lives and we'll literally never run out of material. So I think that's a that's great true. I think that's a great jumping off point. But yes, episode one where we get to talk about Hemingway. We get to listen to the sound of our own voices. We get to just have a whole big hoot nanny. We love it. Hoot nanny. Uh, that's going to come back in a few episodes, I feel like. Maybe. I, th- I feel like hootenanny is a good word. It is, indeed. Uh, so if you haven't read the book uh, before or uh, you know, in conjunction with this podcast, highly suggest that uh, you go ahead and turn this off and, uh, and go read the thing because the type of discussion we're going to have doesn't lend itself to you know, summarizing a book. So if you're a high schooler thinking that you know, you're going to get some, uh, some pearls of wisdom and understand how the book goes without reading it, uh, you're wrong. So go turn it off, go read the book, and then, uh, and then come back to us. Sure, and you'll get kind of an idea about what we're what we're what our speed is, what we're about in this podcast. But uh, first things first, we're just a bunch of uh, you know normal dudes. We're here to read a book, enjoy it. We're not going to give you a whole lot of you know super analysis on anything like that. We're just kind of interested in more so the things that jump out off the page at us. So we're going to give you a little summary before we get into it, and then mostly we just like to kind of delve into questions that we had whenever we were reading the book. You know, just kind of chewing the fat a little bit, talking about it. And maybe hearing, you know, some of the questions you guys might have, uh, we'd love to hear that as well. So uh, once we do all that, we like to have a little rating system. Obviously, you have to have a rating system. Everything yeah. has to be better or worse than something. I mean, obviously, the whole, you can't the, just, whole the whole internet is just lists. Exactly. We have to have a list. Everything too. has to be organized, you know, in a descending fashion. So we'll have a little rating system for our bookshelf that we'll get into later in the episode. And uh, yeah, so let's get into it. First episode. It's the it's the inaugural book for us. Yeah. This was uh this was I we kind of we shuffled around a little bit at the beginning of thinking about what we were gonna start off with. And uh we didn't want to be too overly esoteric or too kind of like, you know, we're just gonna jump into crime and punishment or infinite right. jest or something that it's like, wow, this is gonna take, you know, a while to kind of digest. So a nice little light, fun, you know, friendly little novel yeah, but, about World War One. Yeah. And uh just and dead and babies and, and uh, yeah, just yeah, general shittiness. Uh, a farewell to arms by uh, Ernest Hemingway. Now, am I correct? This, I'm, you know, I'm not. You, I'm going to defer to your knowledge on this. Was this? This was before the sun also rises. This was one of his this, first. This yeah, was his yeah. like. He wrote this, and this was kind of his propellant yep. into kind of that independence and just being a writer type of thing. Or? I, I believe that. I believe that's correct. Um, 
I get his his timeline confused sometimes, but yeah, this was this was definitely early on. I don't know if it was his, his first. And if we're wrong, we could just no. fix it in post. That's fine. We'll, well, just, and we'll if, just crop if it out. If we're wrong, who cares? We're if, not historians. If we're wrong, Some, we'll somebody can it next somebody week. get on the interwebs. But I think and this was us. yeah. I think in kind of reading because what I like to do, you know, obviously we read the book and kind of get your own you know thoughts and feelings on it. But I kind of want a little bit more of a historical background on the author. So I kind of like perused Twenty Two Skadood a little bit about Hemingway in this time period, and it was okay. It was kind of fascinating. So I thought this was you know. We can get into the plot here in just a second, quick, like 20, 30 yeah. second synopsis. But I thought that this was an interesting book more so because of the direct correlations and a lot of like Hemingway's own personal experiences. So I sure, feel like this sure. book lends itself more, uh, I don't know, personally to the to the author than maybe some of his other work. Granted, I've yeah. only, you know, I've, I've read a little bit of the short stories. I've, I've started The Sun Also Rises, but it was something I never really all, yeah. super got all the way through. Maybe we'll pick that back up here in a few yeah. weeks. But so no, this was I think this was a really good audible uh, for our <laughs> first uh, for our first choice for the book club. It was it was an easy an easy entry. So synopsis wise, this is this is pretty simple, right? So we've got we've got like five major major and then they're kind of broken up. Yeah, in the they book. are five major periods that kind of this book covers, and it's like step one is you meet your main character. We'll, we'll call him Boy. We'll, we meet well, Bo- Boys Fred- in War. Frederick Henry. Boy in War. Which you don't right. find out until like halfway through the book what sure. his fucking name is. Boy in War. That's, that's stage Tenete. one. So we're, we're, set to this, uh, we're set to this background of World War I. All right, stage two, like any great love story, Boy Meets Girl. Yeah. Fair to say? All right, Boy yeah. Meets Girl. Okay. I, mean, I assume she's a girl. Boy Gets Hurt in War. All right, we're kind of following a similar, you know, kind of story pattern. Boy is cared for by girl while recovering from injury, falls in love with girl. Yeah. Boy goes back to war. War turns to shit. Boy escapes war under crazy circumstances. Boy escapes the the war-torn, you know, area yeah. with girl. And they live happ- happily ever after until girl dies giving birth to his child who also dies. Yeah. Which they made while while <laughs> he was end. recovering in the hospital. The end. <laughs> Wonderful love story. Yeah. Uh, I think very you know heartwarming book. No, this yeah. book is fucking depressing, Ryan. Why did no. you make me read this? So I, I just well, so first of all, I think I think Hemingway obviously is is really important when you're talking sure. about modern writers. But um, I think that there are there are a lot of things. Um, about him that I think are are easy to react to. Sure, um, there are things that he that he does that are just kind of eye rolling. Um, and then I think you know from a craft perspective, there there are things that he did that set the tone for a lot of other writers. So I, I think regardless of your overall reaction to him, it was a good way for us to like get this podcast going without really having to like dig deep. Sure. For, for I would hate feelings. to, I would hate to have a book that we read and you're just very lukewarm. It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, it's okay. Like, you know, I, you know, this book, um, not that I'm saying it's something that has shaped me or changed me, but I thought it was an no. interesting, I thought it was an interesting read. And I think it was a good kind of, uh, venture into Hemingway, the writer, because like I said before the show, um, after reading this book, luckily I had a book that my sister had given me previously with some of his short stories. I had to go in there and read a yeah. little bit of those because I'm like, okay, you know, I kind of want to see, you know, a lot of what I've heard is that Hemingway, you know, the way he writes can be really, uh, really odd, like odd. Well, not odd. Odd is not necessarily the word. Just kind of like, uh, 
drawn out, long kind of just grading. But yes, yes. But he also does it like linguistically, like being very brief and concise. Sure. So like what he is describing is very long and drawn out, but how he yes. describes it is very brief. terse. I yes. believe is a good yeah. is a good description it's of it. It's probably, very. It's probably it's, right. He 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 says exactly everything necessary to get the point across, but he says that about a lot of things kind yeah. of in in concurrence. Unless you're talking about consuming alcohol, which he goes into great details. On well, I mean, he was a raging alcoholic his entire life. I mean, and, and I don't think there are very many stories out there that don't have um, alcohol in them in, in some regard. I mean, hell, you know, his his short stories, which I think Hemingway by far is, is better at short stories, and I know you want to talk about that, than he is at novels. And, you know, I can think of my my two favorite short stories, mm-hmm. um, like there are multiple references to alcohol, at least, you know, ordering, you know, alcohol or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, it's it's just a thing with him. Alcohol. It's it's the Hemingway. It's the Hemingway mythos, right? Yeah. Like it's the you know, when you think about Hemingway, I guess you think about this like machismo. You think about this like very. You know, we drink alcohol and we go fight bulls and we talk about wartime and and our exploits with women and just this very like yep. overtly masculinity um, that I could understand could be kind of a little grating to some people. I I don't mind it because I'm a very I mean obviously look at me I'm I'm incredibly masculine. Oh. It's, it's almost as though he were writing about <laughs> me before I were born. But right, I do feel like again though as kind of the story. Went on and on and on and on. It was kind of one of those things where it was, you know, you got a little exasperated after just taking in a lot of this because it was so much kind of not not ambling, but yeah. just very, very, very running, like like a, a, not stream of consciousness even, but just kind of like a lot all at once. And, you know, it just, it seems like over the course of an entire full-length novel, it just kind of was, I don't know, it was... It was a lot, it's, but yep. But I do appreciate one of the things that I think he did a really good job of is just kind of, uh, kind of describing or, or kind of instilling the idea of that kind of atmosphere. I thought that that was one of the things that, despite mm-hmm. the character conversations between, weren't necessarily I thought kind of the strong suit in a lot of ways. I, I thought a lot of kind yep. of the interactions between Frederick and Catherine were kind of. Odd. They're, yeah, they're I flat. Don't, I don't know if yeah. it's like it, you know. I'm sure some of it is a period thing. You know, this book takes place a hundred years ago, pretty much. But no, it's it's a Hemingway thing because if you go read Fitzgerald or something sure. of the same period, I mean, and guys that knew each other, it's completely different sure. dialogue. You know, yeah, and a lot of it is just it's kind of it's it's strange the way that they like talk to each other and kind of like the 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 way that they constantly had these rhetorical questions and it yeah, was, I feel like a lot of that was used oddly. However. The entirety of the book, it did a really good job of like kind of setting this kind of melancholy atmosphere, even during like the periods of the book where it's like, okay, lighter things are happening and you have these sort of um, kind of niceties and and, and nicer things going on that you still just kind of have this whole like atmospheric thing that that I really kind of got attached to in the book that I thought was nice. There's always a sense of like um, of things looming, right? Like even oh even, yeah, I mean just the the foreshadowing obviously with the rain for example and just yeah. kind of the way that that sort of like after that first instance you kind of it, it, events that happen right after that 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 occur with that same sort of kind of melancholic like I said just yeah. sort of dread around it that it's I think I I think it's a really 
strong suit of his writing that kind of gets you in that in that feeling and in that mood. Yeah, I think you know, speaking specifically of his writing, one thing that that I do appreciate about Hemingway, and something that I struggle with as as a writer sometimes is is the ability to be brief and um, to be concise in your language. And I, we talked about it uh, before the show about the um, about just the kind of rolling dialogue. So there's yeah. there's a, there's a scene um, where uh, when he's still in the army, I think they're they're in the mess hall or whatever, having dinner um, and they were drinking and they were all kind of talking. No, it was when he was in the hospital and they come and visit him, uh, his his buddies and the priest. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, priest. Yeah. And, okay. they, and they they they, you know, were drinking and talking and it's just this running dialogue. Yeah. Right. And. You know, I think on on one hand, as a reader, it's really hard to follow that shit, right? Like, um, you don't know who's saying what and and how or whatever. But if you think about like when we get together with with all of our buddies and we're we're being rowdy, like there are just things that are just thrown out, right? Little bits and pieces. You just grab what you can, you laugh, you react, and you move on. Nobody ever like kind of sits in the conversation. Well, you know, Jacob said this, and Ryan said this, and then Austin said this. Sure, um, sure, sure, and, sure. And so I think when he smashes like all of those conversations together, it sort of creates the chaos of, you know, sort of that group setting. And I think it's brilliant and okay. not many writers do that. But as again, as, as a reader, it's chaotic and sometimes, yeah. And confusing. That, Cause it it's, was, it, it there's was something no to get used to. Yeah. yeah. Something to get used to at first. And then, you know, you, you kind of adapt to that, but it still is a little bit, sometimes I found myself going back and like, okay, I gotta, I gotta take this whole kind of exchange back in just because yeah. so much of it was, all over the place, but I understand that 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 is realistic in sure. terms of how in in terms of group communication. It's not as though we're I'm waiting for you to speak and then you succinctly you know say your point and then I say my point and then you say you know that's not yeah, how humans yeah. interact exactly. So and and he does that I think in his short stories a little bit better than than he did it in the novel here um, where. You know, you he sort of dispenses with the um, the punctuation of of um, of conversation, and you know, we'll just have sort of like line breaks, right? Where he'll say, you know, he'll just say like um, like hills like white elephants come to mind. If uh, if you've never read that one, uh, it's it's really just like the character and his uh, girlfriend or, or fiance or whatever uh, sitting at a bar having a conversation, yeah. and and he does it does a really good job of making it clear, you know, that they're having a conversation and who's saying what, but it, it's sort of the same format. It's not quite a, it like in a giant paragraph, but anyway, um, so let's, we had some questions, you know, kind of book clubby. We did, yeah. We didn't want this we to be, we're not, we're with. not here. We're not, we don't want this to be like a literary analysis for starters. We're not qualified for, well, you might be somewhat qualified for that, but mildly, we're, we're not going to pass off, you know, our little, uh, 10 cent tidbits as, as nuggets of fucking wisdom as though we're going to analyze this. <laughs> analyze. Analyze this. Yeah, analyze. Even, even off a better start. All right. So for us, more so it was, you know, what was something in this book, whether it's, whether it could be something, you know, fundamental that you were, that you were thought was interesting that you wanted to think about or just something completely absurd, but just kind of a question to pose to your co-host as to sort of relate their thoughts on something, uh, that maybe you thought about in the book. And uh, yeah, I thought, I thought that was kind of a, a good, a good place to go with this. So would you like me to, would you like me to throw out a, 
Uh, yeah, you you had a whimsical one earlier. Let's let's the start. whimsical one. Let's, We're gonna start with the whimsical one. So yeah, in the book, the protagonist suffers his injury uh, during the act of their. So he, he and his whole like his company, they're they're yeah they're starting to be under mortar attack, and he's running food from he's getting cheese yeah. and pasta yeah uh, in order to run to his his friends while while suffering this injury. So my question was, is there Specifically, a cheese, or is there even on a more broader scale any type of, of food that you would be willing to take an Austrian 19, 18, whatever mm-hmm. mortar shell shrapnel to the knee in order to retrieve and to enjoy? Um, in, in the context of of normal life the answer is definitively no but i'm gonna assume that we're we're gonna play under the context of war magical christmas land yes uh, in war where you yeah. let's say you have not you've eaten you know disgusting gruel whatever 1918 war rations for yeah, weeks mean, on end i would do it for pretty much anything like uh a, a really solid burger um i do it for like uh, what about alcohol i guess that would be more so if it was a specific type of so normally i would say like any type of alcohol in war but did it strike you as weird that alcohol is everywhere well, they're in italy <laughs> to be fair but, but yeah it seemed like it was very plentiful yeah if, it's good to know that you know fighting in the in you know the world war i it, yeah. you can assume that these uh that these soldiers are just completely boozed up all the time and it was yeah i don't think uh I don't know. I, I don't think that's the way it is. I've never served in the military, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just venture a guess that it's not the case. Well, I'm today. sure, obviously, this was sensationalized a little bit just because, again, Hemingway seemed to yeah. like his booze. Okay. Working it into any uh, situation he could get it in. For sure. So to answer your question concisely, I think I would I would leave a bunker and go run and grab like my grandmother's goulash. Like straight up, it's like, dude, well, so the, the, our family like has a variant of it that basically we add lemon juice to the gravy. So we call it lemon meat, but it's essentially goulash. Okay. Uh, and we put it in little like French pastry shells. I don't know why I'm saying this and people are going to hear it. They're going to try to make it. Um, it's kind of a family secret, but here we are. Um, but yeah, I would, I would. Spin off. We're going to have a. Yeah. A a recipe, a cooking cooking show. show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would leave a bunker for that hands down for the goulash. Uh, definitely. Would, is there anything that you no, would go out for? No. Nothing. Why the fuck would I go out in a mortar <laughs> strike for some fucking cheese? Granted, okay. I love cheese. Okay. okay. So I went through a phase of my life, you know, I was dating someone and they were really big into like fancy cheeses and I was always like, I don't give a shit about that. But, uh, let's see. Gruyere. Love yeah. that. Brie obviously came to love. I wrote them down just so I could remember what they were. Okay. There's this dill Havarti that I I cannot remember for the life of me where it is from, but okay. it's absolutely amazing when it's like on a like on a You can get dill Havarti at like any I grocery know, but store. there was a specific time cuz I've I've okay. tried to get other types and it was not very good, but this one that was really good. And then like uh I don't know, there's specialty French cheeses, Camembert. Oh my god. Was that it? Wait, was that no? That's oh good god? stuff. No, I, I that love, was a good. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh yeah, not like a, yeah. Oh, fuck no, no, no. Oh my mm. god! Okay, you need to go. There's a cheese place downtown Dallas called Scardello. Okay, and Vicky and I do this every every uh, Christmas. They do cheese tastings. Okay, and I'm all about that. It is. Amazing. I'm a cheese plate kind it is of guy amazing. now. It is amazing. 
And it's like yeah, they do like wine and cheese um, and then you can buy everything afterwards. And by the time you've had like two glasses of wine and eight pieces of cheese, you're like, I'm going to have it all. See, I OK, I understand that that's that's the natural that's the natural combination, right? Cheese and wine. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of what makes each of those great is their pairings and yeah. they're, they're made for each other and all that. And this may be sacrilege. I, I can't do wine. I'm not a wine person. I've never been. Yeah. I probably never will be. And that's fair. They they do beer classes too. They they do cheese and beer. Okay. No cheese and beer. I can get behind yeah. that. Yeah. I, I haven't little, taken one of those. That's a little but. less refined, but I think more in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, they they do it. All right. So one one question that I had for you. Um. Is it plausible that Henry just happens to know so many people everywhere he goes? Like, didn't that strike you as a little bit weird that in every city he knew somebody? Um, I mean, even when, like, they were about to escape to Switzerland, right? He knew the uh, the older gentleman that he was playing pool with. Um, but see, I thought these like, were, like, I, I thought that he had kind of, that, that they, like, it, it wasn't necessarily put into detail, but it was kind of inferred that, like, as he was venturing to these new cities, he was meeting these people. Not that he had these established relations. It was a little strange that it was, like, you know, Henry must be like this super popular yeah. guy pretty much in the entirety. He, just, he had of, friends of everywhere Italy. he went. Yeah, pretty much. I, I don't know. And he knew he knew so many like places and I, I don't know. I mean I Again, I think that Yeah, that is a little strange. I think I would chalk that up a lot to again what to me came off as kind of Hemingway's style of the like machismo man. It's it's like yeah. this guy knows where he's where he knows what's happening. He knows the best places to to eat and the best drinks, he knows the cool people to get yeah. to get there. That that seems to me like that was more of a um, just more of another indication of that type of of man that was glorified in the book. Yeah, I, t- I took anything it. Else. I took it as sort of like the uh, the equivalent of like name dropping, right? Yeah. Like he knew he knew these people that did these certain things sure. or like, you know, drank this certain champagne. He's followed some snap stories. Yeah. Like he's at them on Instagram. Yeah. He knows them. Exactly. They're in they're in the same social periphery. Like I, I think I think a lot of things that Hemingway does, not just in this book, but in in pretty much anything, is just sort of that kind of thing. Just he's just he's just bragging. Like yeah. oh, oh, I know yes, what this he's is. He's been here and he knows such and such. Right. And- Yes, we've drank all of the finest, you know, wines and eaten all of the finest places and, you know, dated all of these models or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of that kind of romanticism with that type of of lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It just it struck me as as strange throughout that he kept finding these very favorable situations sure. uh with people um of either some sort of renown or stature. Uh, typically with money, right? Um, it was just it was strange. What uh, what else did did you have that that struck you? Okay, so we talked about this a little bit beforehand because, like I've said, this book isn't. Uh, I w- I would say this book is melancholic. I would yeah. say that um, you kind of leave feeling just sort of like, uh, not empty, but there's just sort of a. Uh, Okay. It's, yeah. You know, there's there's nothing there's nothing there's no real like catharsis, right? That's exactly. And it. so the thing for me is is would you classify this book as a tragedy? Now, I'm obviously I'm not, you know, I'm I don't have a literary background or whatever, but in college, you know, you've yeah. if you do any type of 
English beyond just your basic English courses and stuff like that, you may venture in, or even within like performing arts, you venture into a lot of like the Greek tragedies, which are kind of the the, the basis for a lot of Western thought on sure. on tragedies. Sure. And one thing that I saw or that I read that I thought was interesting, and I have it here, is that um, you know a lot of what makes a tragedy is it's 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 based on suffering right like the central theme is suffering that invokes kind of a cathartic response sure. out of the people taking in or whatever but that suffering is brought on by some shortcoming of the protagonist character whether it's you know their hubris or their you know uh, oversight or or all of these things these mm-hmm. negative aspects mm-hmm. that it's that it's some sort of learning experience from and i i get that this book isn't trying to be that but I've seen it classified as a tragedy, whereas I think that's not necessarily true because you see a lot of the events, it's kind of, and, and we were discussing yeah. this beforehand, is that it kind of just seems more nihilist than anything. That it seems like the whole attitude of the book is that, you know, there are just these horrible occurrences and tragedies and, and things that just happen in the world around you. And you're sure. kind of just, you're, you're kind of just you know, you, you were just a part of it. It's, it's things just happen and it's, it's miserable. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think, I think you have hit sort of the nail on the head with Hemingway's worldview, right? Is that basically shit happens and then you die. And and I, I think that that summarizes a lot of like the way that Hemingway approaches things. Matter of fact, it's kind of the way that he approached his life, to be honest, um, in, in a lot of respects, but, um, I don't, I, I think you could make the argument that you could, you could classify it as a tragedy. Um, you know, you have, Henry was an American serving in the Italian army. Why? Like what, what is the point of getting involved in a war at that point that America wasn't involved in, right? Other than just, he, I think they throw or he throws out the explanation that he was kind of in the country at the time and you know whatever. It was, um, it, it was something to do. Yeah. So so that's what it. That's kind of what the central theme is. If you see Henry, anytime he's not involved in the war, he just seems kind of like a, not adrift, but just very blasé. Yeah. He, about everything, it, it doesn't exactly. really seem like he's a passionate person about any one thing or or another. No, I mean, I think even his, like, interaction, you know, with with his fellow soldiers and stuff, um, you know, in his squad, uh, when the book starts out, like, he is not uh, sort of a central figure in any of the conversation. Um, Most of the time, he just wants to get through the meal or whatever interaction to get on with, you know, some other mundane thing. Um, So... You know, I, I think one you could make the argument that you know he, in not having a plan really at any point in time, um, sort of sets the sets the stage for having a, a flaw that leads to all of these these things. And then you know, obviously, you know, meeting Cat and uh, you know her fiance uh, dying, and then their weird interaction where she kind of like uh, projects that onto him early on. And I think sort of becomes attached as a kind of filler for that, you know, I, and sure. him going along willingly with that, okay. you know, I think, um, yeah, his, you could see, you could see a little bit of a flaw and like kind of a misguided direction in, in the yeah, way he's just decided even, to handle that, that he, kind of leads to that, that sort of circumstance for itself. Yeah. But it still just seems like, you know, there's not like a specific, 
it's like he did this or he chose this and that led to his misfortune. It was more of a, he was kind of just along for the ride. It, it was more mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. he wasn't, it seemed like he, he was never really in control of his own, of his own life. And that might be the lesson here. If yeah. not, that, not that there's necessarily a lesson to take from this, but it, that was, you know, you can, you can sort of make it up on your own is that you see this guy who's kind of just along for the ride seemingly with the things that are occurring in his life. And, and because of that, he's, he seems more vulnerable and kind of more at risk sure. to just be taken advantage of by the, the misery, you know, because he hasn't really, uh, stepped outside to, to, to make a decision to be kind of a more active, you know? Yeah. And you know, I think, person um, in his life. yeah, I, it, it doesn't make for great literature sure. in, in not having like a, a strong character because I don't think Henry is, is really a strong character, uh, at all, to be honest. Um, but it is kind of true to life. Like if you take, sure. a, if you take a step back and think about, um, the things you've done in the last 10 years, a lot of, um, where you are today is, uh, either, you know, just through complacency, sure, you've, you've ended up whatever, yeah, just whatever yeah. you've, you, uh, yeah. And I can relate to that in a sense that in a lot of ways you kind of are, very much you're just sort of along for a ride, the ride in a lot right. of aspects just because you you would be foolish to think that you can control every major aspect of your life to shape it kind of however but there are areas right. that you can um but yeah i guess maybe that's the but that's i think the, that's his character flaw like that's the if, tragic is that he yeah he he doesn't uh he doesn't take control of anything he just hmm. he just sort of floats through the the story and and kind of does the the things that he wants to do without ever considering what the consequences um you know whether it's it's sleeping with cat or deserting the army um you know or trying well, to deserting that his choice was a bullet to the head or deserting the army well so. yeah I, I get that was that was a bit a bit forced but i mean it's still um i mean he was already in that situation i mean he didn't want to go back to begin with right obviously right. but and having gone back and then leaving, I don't necessarily fault him for, uh, but you for could, his choice in that instance. You could argue that an honorable man would have taken the bullet to the head instead of jumping in a river, um, fully clothed and apparently apparently uh, beating Olympic swim records uh, with with boots on and all. Um, okay, so trying to think what other what other oh let's since we're on the subject the of, journey of, to... of water yeah let's 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 talk about the rowing thing okay let's talk about it so did this he, did this really grind your gears he well okay so you talked about already about the sort of machismo aspect of of Hemingway right so sure. um this is I think a classic example of of you know man versus some like feet of nature right middle of the night they have to leave in a rowboat with you know just him and his his pregnant girlfriend uh in a storm with you know no the, a general idea of where they're going and, mm-hmm. and how how far to get there right um and somehow they they make it despite all of this stuff uh he basically rows the entire way right cat jumps in for a minute and yeah you know whatever so um did you struggle at all with that part of the book where, you know, he just, I mean, he didn't really seem to have a problem with it. It was just sort of like, yeah, we bailed some water out. Uh, we tried to make a sailboat, didn't work. And then, uh, yeah, we showed up in Switzerland, showed some border guards, some stuff and 
I mean, a, if we're talking about Switzerland, the, wherever the, he, wherever he landed, was yeah, it Switzerland? Yeah, the preceding events where he had you know escaped and swam and snuck himself onto a train and hit yeah. you know an ammunition you know cart, I guess. Yeah, under the canvas. Whatever, you know, you, yeah. we've kind of already reached that point where we're like, okay, this is very much so. We're reaching the extended kind of elaboration standpoint. So no, it didn't really bother me all that much. But to be fair, I was kind of just like, oh yeah, Italy to Switzerland. They're close. I didn't really, you know, I don't know the, the, did you do the math? Do you I, know did, how I did, okay. math. I, I you, know, did some math. I know you've got your field notes ready to go. So I figured yeah. you did the math somehow on this, on this rowing excursion. <clears throat> so let me, uh, it didn't make a very satisfying paper no, sound. It didn't. There, that's, there that's we better. go. Right. That's a little bit better. All right. So, uh, he approximately rode 22 miles. Okay, that's not terrible. Uh, and again, this is my math. So in a rowboat, in a rowboat, so twenty-two miles isn't terrible. 20, 22 miles. He uh, rode at a speed of two point seven five miles per hour. Uh, Man, that's kind of slow. Well, on the water. Well, it's not terrible. Um, from what I read online, and I don't have a definitive source. I mean, for I this, can walk faster than that. You could you could basically row anywhere from three and a half to four and a half miles an hour on average in a fourteen foot rowboat. Is what I what sure. I found. I don't know what kind of rowboat that is. It's not like a skull, you know, like oh, I doubt they were in a fourteen you know, that, foot that, rowboat. No, so it's feasible that you know sure. two point seven miles per hour. But can, you got to remember they were dealing with high winds. Sure. Big waves. Uh, they probably didn't know, you know, where they were going. I know for a portion of it, they they followed the shoreline. But you're assuming a pretty pretty efficient route if you're, you know, making the 22 mile journey in in 2.7 miles or per hour. Or you know, you think maybe the guy who gave him the boat is is wrong and it's not really whatever it is, 38 kilometers, uh, whatever they say in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That's the one thing I always struggle with with Hemingway, right? Like even in high school, like Old Man in the Sea, like the fish battle, and and like sure, just all the of, the exaggerations of human feet for the sake of kind of playing up that whole right manly machismo. You know, this guy is right. kind of this is the man's man. He can, you know, row the boat. He can. You and know, it was he, such a like lackluster payoff for for me too. Is like you know he gets there and, and they just sort of like hop out, leave the luggage there. You know, you would have thought for a guy who was um, obviously trying to brag about, you know, his his uh, his strength, you know, you would have had the character cat like, you know, compliment him constantly nah, or something. Fit, like, that doesn't really know. fit kind of their interactions, though. Yeah, I guess. But I don't know. The rowboat thing for me, like that's that's a long way, especially in a storm. Um, trying to evade, you know, border guards and and all of that kind of stuff. New podcast idea. Once we okay. scrap this one, literary mythbusters. We literary mythbusters. That's the actually things, a great idea. Do the things that we read in books to see I don't, if it's I, possible. I don't want to take a rowboat out in a thunderstorm, though. Well, we don't have to take it out in a thunderstorm. We can time ourselves for twenty-two miles, and then we can kind of estimate the effect. I don't know. Okay. We'll fucking well, figure we it can out. do. It. We can literary. do. It. We're just gonna we're scrapping this after episode one. And we're just we're going all in on uh, literary mythbusters. All right, fair okay. enough, fair enough. All right, but yeah, that's that's kind of all I had on the rowboat thing. Like, I don't know, did that didn't strike you as no, no, it was just weird. Something. I kind of just took it in stride. It was like, okay, this is just this is kind of a again, like I said, if you look at the things kind of proceeding up to that, the whole retreat, that's fair. the that's retreat fair. followed by his escape. You know, it's. It, 
you kind of had that little sort of down period, but it, it didn't really surprise me. It wasn't something that detracted a lot from the story for me. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, suspension of disbelief. What about... Uh, fictionalization. What about shooting the guys that ran off uh, after they got the truck stuck during the uh, the retreat? That was strange. It seemed a little out of character. Why do you, Why do you think he did that? Like I, I struggle to. I think it was. I think it's just kind of a. You know, when you're talking about. Um, I don't know when you're kind of just this. This book, uh, it it does a really good job, especially when they're talking about the retreat of just having this like unromantic. You know, a lot of times when you read war, war stories, right? They're very like romanticized. It's very this yeah. like, big grandiose ideas. And this is what these people are fighting for, and you have like these major heroic actions. Sure, and. Uh, Hemingway in this book, um, yeah, I don't know. It's very, it's very, it's 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 not like that at all. It's very unromantic. It's very sterile. It's very like it takes more of a of a journalistic kind of style where it's just kind of like here's the details that are happening and they're horrible and stuff. And and in a way, you know, in a lot of that romanticism of war, a big fact, like a big factor of it is morality. Where usually whatever side is kind of the one that's writing the story, it's, you know, we act in very, you know, morally unambiguous ways. You know, we're the good guys. Sure. And we care for these. And we always take, you know, enemies prisoner. And we do all this stuff despite the fact that, you know, they wouldn't do the same for us. And they torture our countrymen and all this. And in a way, in this one little action and kind of the preceding events when you have sort of the chaos amongst the Italian soldiers, it really shows that, you know... There's that there's that big moral ambiguity in war, right? Because sure, the fact yeah. is, is you know he shoots the guys and and nobody even thinks twice of it. This is and this is not right. something that we've seen previously that would be considered within their kind of character. That it's like, oh, this is kind of the thing they do. They're kind of like a little seedier. No, you know, you never get that sort of indication previously. But just the fact that that it's it's it sort of is just this is kind of the morality of of these sort of situations that yeah. unfortunately you suffer on both sides that you have this ambiguity that something that you know you would kill a man for for deserting yeah it's it just seemed it seemed interesting to me that like again i i sort of go back to you know if if he was if he shot at those guys because um they were acting dishonorably right and as a lieutenant, that's just, you know, it was his job as an officer to, sure. you know, take care of, of that situation. And, and again, it wouldn't have made for a good book, but, you know, taking the bullet there. Sure, you, you juxtapose know, it with the way that he yeah, acts. Yeah, so, so. It's a little different, though. Yeah, I mean, it, some of, it, it's part self-preservation where those guys were. I mean, I guess acting in self-preservation, but in a selfish way for against their allies, essentially, sure. right? Like, sure. Whether um, or not Henry took a bullet was not necessarily like, oh, well, this, you know, this, I'm, you know, I'm at fault for the failures of like these, this, this army and all that because it was kind of more of a, you know, we failed and so they were looking for kind of a scapegoat. They were looking to punish the the officers. Yeah. Um, and so that, I think that's a little bit different than in this instance where it's okay, we're trying to, we're trying to evacuate, we're trying to get out of here. And that degree of self-preservation has a detrimental effect on like the ability of others to try to, 
to try to survive. Whereas I think in his instance, it's not necessarily the same, but I get that there's kind of that juxtaposition there where it's, you know, yeah. Morally ambiguous that he would kill that man in that instance, but that it was seen uh, that you kind of contrast that with the way that it was handled for the officers following the retreat. Yeah. I mean, just like, I don't know. It seems, it seems weird to me. Cause I, I don't see like Henry as like, a guy of high moral standard, you know, obviously he's, he's sleeping with cat at that point. Uh, I think he knows she's pregnant. Oh yeah. Right? She's pregnant. Yeah. He knows she's pregnant whenever he goes so, back. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's she right. Tells him whenever that's he's right. recovering. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't act honorably, you know, in, in that regard. Um, you know, so he just seems very like selective about how he's going to make some of these decisions. Oh, that's, that's, that's human. Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly true. Um, what other what other questions did you? Just have? my last one was just okay. kind of centered around uh, Henry and Kat's romance because it's obvious at the start that it's kind of a of an escape for both of them, right? With sure. Kat dealing with her loss mm-hmm. and Henry just kind of dealing with the just just kind of sterile world. That, that he's kind of occupying in that moment through war, that it's, you know, sure. he's, he's in, I guess, a womanizer. You know, every every character seemingly outside of the priest in this book is a womanizer. But yeah. uh, just kind of his his reaction to that. And, and I think that at some point there is a genuineness to kind of their relationship. But, um, you know, at the end of the book, whenever whenever Cat dies... Uh, Spoiler, Jesus. I mean, we've already said that, but you don't you don't get the feeling that there's this like uh that there's this epiphany, that there's any sort of like uh change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get the feeling that Henry kind of goes on the, it's, the same yeah, way it's that he's unresolved. That he has. Sure, yeah. And so my question is, how genuine do you think um their relationship is and 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 obviously it, it evolved over the over the course of the book but yeah. do you think that they were both genuine do you think that maybe cat was more genuine henry do you think that they were both sort of uh just sort of aware of the idea that this was kind of an escape from them and that hmm. they sort of used this just as a means of coping more yeah. so than actually having you know a genuine relationship I think I think obviously at first uh, it's pretty clear what Henry's intentions are uh, before you know the main action of the book gets started, and you know in in the first thirty pages, um, you know, Cat sort of has this weird um, sort of like projection onto Henry when they're you know making out or or whatever uh, one night uh, where you know, she sort of sees her, you know, dead fiance, um, in that moment. And then, you know, acts crazy and then says, you know, please don't think I'm crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I think, yeah, as, as it starts out, Henry, um, is using her for just entertainment. Um, and she's using him as sort of, uh, a way to get over her fiance or, you know, even potentially continue that romance, uh, you know, with, with somebody else, you know, and then obviously, and he, and Henry says it very, you know, explicitly that he does actually, uh, catch feelings as it were. 
And, you know, I, I do think that, uh, that it becomes, uh, genuine by, you know, by the end, but, um, you know, I, th- I think that, that Hemingway just, you know, knowing a lot of his other stuff tends to like to leave things unresolved. Right. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think he wanted people to, to have conversations and, and to consider, you know, everything that went on. I also think that, uh, it's very plausible that because of the situation that Kat and Henry were in both, obviously his, his, uh, um, his escaping the army, um, basically being a fugitive and then her, you know, having a kid out of wedlock, there is probably a sense of, of relief for Henry, um, you know, that obviously isn't in the novel, but just, uh, you know, knowing the, the, the time period and, and the norms and stuff. Um, I don't, I don't think it's genuine because I think they would have followed, uh, you know, some other, protocol of the era i think they just sort of became victims to circumstance yeah. or, or what what have you no, i think that i i just think it was kind of while there were elements and you know as as human beings we've been in elements we've been in times throughout our lives and relationships right where you have a genuine caring for someone else in that sure. relationship but you know that it's that that's more of a an escape or more of a just sort of a situation that you're kind of in out of complacency not necessarily, yeah, absolutely. not necessarily out of like, this is, I'm throwing myself into this. And I got that, that, that was kind of my, my feeling, my take from this, that this was more of a, they use this as kind of a barrier to kind yeah. of protect them from this sort of, like I said, this kind of nihilistic, inhospitable kind of melodramatic world. And I feel like the whole theme is that, um, that that's temporary, Mm-hmm. That that regardless of of how you do it, that's kind of the way that the the inhospitable, you know, just sort of futile yeah. world and existence. And it's that's why I said it's not it's not even so so much sad in the instance of oh you you know you 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 read and you feel for these characters and all that. That's not necessarily the feeling I got. It's just the the sort of centralized theme that it's just that life sucks and that you're escapes from it are few and temporary sure and that at the, the end result in war and, and war is a good theme for that because obviously, you know, the way that war is portrayed in the book is it's just, it's this inhospitable, just horrible kind of yeah experience. And that that is sort of the, you know, similar to a lot of just the fate in, in life. And, and that's why it's kind of, it's not depressing, but it's just kind of like, Oh, you know, you're not left with this. Uh, it was a good book. Don't get me wrong. And we can get into like our yeah. whatever star ratings yeah. or whatever. It was a good book, but it's not something that is really going to challenge me to read it again to try to to try to get some sort of uh, not lesson. Because again, you don't have to write if you if you're looking for sort of a lesson or some sort of you know catharsis from everything you read you're going to be sorely disappointed and i don't think yeah. books have to do that i think books merely have to engage you in a story or, or they they really just have to whatever the the author wants to say whatever right. they want to say however they want to say it and you don't have to you don't have to have that sort of like oh here's the moral of the story and here's the right. lesson i don't think there is one in this book i think it simply is just a you know I don't, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, it's, it just seems very like nihilist and just, yeah, sort it's of, just, it's very life is uh life is pitiful. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, 
that's Hemingway in a nutshell. I've I have one last question, and, okay. then, and then let's let's get into our summary. But um, did did it strike you as odd his reaction when uh, when everything happened at the hospital with the baby and and cat that um, that he didn't care at all about the baby? Like, I mean, just well, not even just that situation, but uh, I mean, even prior he. There was no point where he was looking forward to like being a father or having that kid or anything like that. Well, sure. Yeah. That ever strike you as weird? And what did you think about that? No, because I again, I think a lot of that relates to the fact that I didn't. I thought that this whole relationship of theirs was was an escape, and it's one of those things that you know, it it, it kind of ties into the reality of you know if you're with someone and you're having a kid, thankfully I've never had to experience this. Yeah. But if you're with someone that you're not necessarily like, my goal is I, I want to have a family with this person. I want to have children sure. or whatever. And that's something that just happens. I can imagine it's not necessarily, I, I don't know. It's not such something that you maybe depending on your character will be super overjoyed about. And so I get what you're saying that to sort of kind of at the end that it seemed, I don't know, maybe even more of a relief to him in the situation, which is kind of sad in and of itself, but no, it, it didn't strike me as strange. It, it kind of seemingly felt in character that that was never really a big factor to him. Yeah. Like so, it felt maybe, you know, it felt maybe when they, when they, he realized she was pregnant and they were talking about, you know, getting married and she's like, no, we don't need to worry about that now. You right. Know, I already yeah, feel we married. Are married. Yeah. I feel like you're committed to me and all this other stuff that, that maybe just that sort of, I don't know, that like sense of, of obligation, but not necessarily, you know, him longing to have a family or to, to sure. do any of that, but just more so a sense of, you know, obligation that this is kind of his escape or responsibility or something like that. So no, it didn't really strike me as out of character. Yeah. I, it didn't, it didn't strike me as out of character either, but it, it struck me as, um, a bit inhuman like and i and sure. i think it i think it really does frame up the argument that you know this this was really escapism for for the two because he didn't have an an emotional investment in that kid being gone and you know frankly from the way that the story ended i think you could also argue that he didn't have really that much of an emotional um connection to to cat like sure. It was just, you know, something. Like, this is the end. Yeah, and uh, you know, in 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 a weird way, it was it was you know, his his loss of the war, right? Like you know, other people lose their lives. Some people lost their uh, their families. Uh, you know, lost limbs. Um, you know, what have you? And uh, you know, here was here was Henry who had you know some sort of weird future that was being built and then, you know, that was ripped all out from underneath him. And now he's sort of back to, you know, being adrift, which is sort of his normal state, right? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the character is in seemingly a worse position than he was to start the book. I mean, in, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, but sure. Sure. It's, it's as though, you know, and not that there has to be this like constant growth progression, but yeah, it, it feels like in a lot of ways, kind of his life, was sort of spinning the wheels and, and you just had these sort of bad things that, that took place in the background, but all the, all at the same time, you don't really see Henry as at any way, you know, evolved or changed. 
No, I don't think so. Um, but you could you could make the argument that he does, and that's the fun thing about Hemingway. Sometimes is sure. the is the implication and the open endedness of sure. it. That the, you can you can whatever have your interpretation of it is. I mean, I could see a lot of ways that you take the ending and that you take, I guess, just sort of the way that he's progressed throughout the book. But for me personally, it just seems that Hemingway, in a lot of ways, like he. Again, I, I guess I would need to read more to kind of understand his the theme that he works mm-hmm. with, but it just the the characters, or at least Henry, seem just very detached, and I feel like that that was kind of like Hemingway, in a way, kind of self inserting that it's you know the detachment from 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 the world, the more just sort of uh, emotional isolation. Yeah. So let's let's get into our our bottom line about this book. Um, maybe make some recommendations on you know read, don't read. Um, well, which, how do you want to do this? This is the first episode, so whatever standard we set here, I know it's uh, so it's gonna it's gonna apply. We could do stars. We could do like a buy, read, don't read, borrow, rent it from a library. I mean, to an audio book. Hopefully, by this point, everybody's already go read, watch the movie. Already, already read the book. Um, you well, know, it's our but, first so, episode. They might so, not have read it yet. Okay, because so, we didn't say, "Hey, go read this book." This is our first. For our next episode, you know, maybe they'll be able those who are actually listening true. will be able to read in advance. But this might be just sort of a if they want to get a feel for what we what we are as. Uh, podcasters so i've got an idea i i have a a thing around my house i like buying physical books my wife likes you know the kindle thing um physical but 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 yeah no and i especially yeah you know i've shared this with you i love older versions that i can find (laughs) just versions that are beat up or just have interesting quirks about them like i just love the way my copy of uh farewell arms is uh hardcover uh from 1957 and i just love the like imperfection in in the cutting process for yeah. the different pages. And I just love the, I don't know, the smell. Like, as, as weird There's as it is. There's an old book smell. That's, old book aroma. Yeah. It's it's something, and and this is the weirdest thing that I can, I guess, explain too. But when you listen to, like, older music, right, it seems really difficult to be nostalgic for something that you've never experienced, right? Yeah. Something that was before your time. But I don't know if it's through just uh experience with with people that have lived in that time like with mm-hmm. your like relatives or olders or grandparents or something or whatever mannerisms yeah. that maybe they have that necessarily your peers don't and all that but i don't know if it's through some sort of thing but it makes you know in a lot of ways like reading books like this and 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 kind of just like the i don't know the little subtleties about it 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 does it makes you nostalgic for things that you never have even experienced before and sure. it's a strange feeling yeah the same as if you listen to like uh if you listen to like uh uh like post world war 1 pre world war 2 like era jazz and yeah. stuff like that yeah. just like the way it's recorded and just i don't know the the subtle nuances of it it's just i i don't even think that it's like it's like oh you know i love the way that this music is composed or anything it's just it's just elicits a feeling or it'll, it just kind of elicits this like chemical response that you just go, Oh wow. That's, that's cool. Yeah. That's neat. I get you. And so I, my, that other was, thing that was for, a long tangent no, no, no. For about physical books. So, I love so physical books. So I, I I'm, I'm the same way. I actually am I'm terrible about the way that I treat books. I write in them. I underline things oh, like it's, it's awful, but that's, that's a thing from college and sure. we'll, we'll tell that story another day. But, um, so here's, here's the way that I, I deal with my bookshelf at home. And, uh, I think we could, this could work for the podcast. We could either, um, go with shelf or donate. 
And so basically, when I read and when, which shelf? So when when oh, yeah, I mean, my top if, shelf. Top if, shelf. If, yeah. I, I treat my bookshelf like my liquor. Okay. Well, the yeah. Top so, shelf's where I keep the good. So stuff. I, I I do the same actually. If if you look behind me, so um, if if I I always buy physical copies, um, and I try to buy new when I can, just you know, because want to get royalties to the writers, you know, and, and not to, not to the resale, yeah, but got to get Hemingway as royalties. It, it, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's obviously it's different, uh, with, uh, with older books. But anyway, if I, if I get a book that I really like, I will keep it. Um, if I read a book that, you know, I just don't think is important that I wouldn't suggest to somebody else, I go and donate it. And if you'll notice on this shelf, like from from my top shelf down, is basically like the importance, and and the left side is probably not as good as the right. Like on the right side, I've got all of my like favorite poetry and stuff, followed by like my nonfiction, and then at the bottom, I've got all of my like you know sort of junk stuff. Like I was really into Clive Cussler when uh, I was oh, a kid. Wow. Like yeah. all the Dirk Pitt, I literally have all the Dirk Pitt novels my dad and I used to read, uh, and those are firmly on the bottom. If I could put them under the bookcase to level it out, I would probably do that. But they're not um, quite donates. That they're, they're not quite donates just because like there's, sake. yeah, there's like a weird nostalgia. I get that. Um, I but get that. at any rate, I think, I think that would be okay. a decent, a decent measurement. Donate top, um, middle, bottom shelf. Yeah. All right. For it's a four tier rating system. I think that gives us a lot of wiggle room. Okay. To fill up our bookshelves. Our bookshelf's empty right now. Yeah. So this sets, this is kind of the tone setter. Yeah. So I'm going to put it solidly middle shelf. Yep. Um, Probably right side middle shelf. I think that's where it's going to sit. Like I said, for me, the thing is, is I don't have a whole lot of read like rereadability factor to it just because the story I can't imagine lends itself like to like, oh, more little nuances the more I read it. Like, oh, it grows sure. on me and things like that. Uh, but I thought it was a good read and I thought it was a good, I thought for having not really uh, delved into Hemingway a lot, I thought this was a good choice for kind of a, a first go round into that. So I'd say solid middle shelf. Um, I'm, I'm completely with you on, uh, on the middle shelf. I think that that is, uh, that's the right place for, for Hemingway. Um, and you know, for, for all the same reasons, I do want to tell this, this story. Um, okay. so I, I've, I'll, I'll talk more about these, these guys later, but, um, I, I, I have some friends that live in Wales and, uh, I was talking with uh, with my friend Rich that lives there, and I told him we were going to do this podcast, and you know, told him what book we were doing first, and he was like, "Oh shit, I've never read Hemingway before." Um, you know, I'll I'll pick it up and and whatever, and sure. so we're just touching base about some other stuff, and uh, so I I texted him a few days uh, prior. He didn't respond. Then I texted him like last uh, Friday, and so he he texts me back, and and this is what he says. He goes, "Mate." I've been avoiding writing you because I hate Farewell to Arms so much. It's hard going. I wanted to love it and I hated it. And I can understand that. I yeah, can no, I, I'm, 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 I'm the same. I'm, I'm the same. I'm way. more of a masochist though when it comes yeah. to reading. So I'll just like trudge through it for I the think, sake of saying that I did. Yeah, I think uh, once we get into into some other uh, other writers and different styles, um, and you know, we talk about you know really like the stuff that comes after the the, the Hemingway, uh, Fitzgerald kind of period that. Um, he sets a foundation. He definitely deserves to be on the shelf. I think, you know, when, when you talk about approaching it from a layman's terms, like we are like getting something of value out of there, it's, it's definitely middle of the shelf. Uh, yeah. you know, it's you, you, 
learn something about literature. You learn you you get something about the experience of World War One and, and and you know loss and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's not a book that you're just gonna like recommend to every person you see oh, when no, the no, word no, no, book no. comes up. No, you no, know? no. Yeah, and I mean, like, just from what I gathered from people that are much more well versed on literary critique, that it's it's all over the board, man. There are people that love oh, Hemingway. Yeah. There are people that hate Hemingway, and there are people all all factors in between. And I think that that's interesting as itself like in and of itself as a as a writer that it's he's very polarizing yeah um so i don't know maybe whenever we have some sort of tie-in we get into uh some more maybe we can dedicate one of our shows to a few short stories maybe i would love that because i think that's my favorite like i said i think that i think that it's a little bit more digestible in kind of a a shorter a shorter package yeah i would i would love i would love to do some of his his short stories are are phenomenal uh, compared to, we'll to get, his novels. We'll get back around to it. Um, we got plenty of time. We'll get around to oh, it. Oh, yeah. We we have all the time in the world. Um, so, actually, next episode... So, next episode, we which... Are, we, we're, it might be next week for us. It might be the week... We might do half be, of it next week, half of it the week after. Yeah. Who knows? But... We'll, we'll see how much there is to digest. But uh, we're going to do a, a a big, more recent book. Yeah, contemporary. You're scaring uh, me here. See, I, I like to live in the past, and you're bringing me into this more contemporary writing. Yeah, and, and this, this a, was... It's still a historical This event, was always the plan, right? Like, we would uh, we'd sort of touch... We'd, you were, you know, you were the more of the... And, yeah, you were I'd, the more of the modern guy. I was going to try to to steer us back into more... Classic. More or less yeah, classics 80 100 years yeah. previous type things so uh all the light we cannot see uh pulitzer winner uh national book finalist uh it's a big fucking deal uh by anthony dewar what year did this come um out? this came out uh i want to say in like 2015 okay really um, so really new yeah it's it's super super recent um we're staying you know for now in the uh 2014 i was close um uh, we are uh, going to stay kind of in the in the war theme, although we'll, sure. we'll progress to, to World War II. Um, and my wife has read this. I've had a few friends read this. I've tr- started to read it and then got distracted a couple times. Oh, does she want to join us maybe um, on some commentary? You, you know, I, I'm sure she would love to do that. Um, if we'll, that's something we want to even extend to. We'll, uh, we just want to keep this the like tight-knit Ryan and Jacob no, show. Nobody wants to listen to us constantly. Um, we... I'm sure we'll we'll have some guests in the future. Um but that'll be our next book so okay. uh so people start reading. Um you can read along with us and then we'll uh we'll kind of play in the next episode as it comes. If it's a two-parter, we'll make it a two-parter. Um I feel like there's a lot to digest in this it's one. It's a two-parter, you won't know any difference. It'll be one for you, but it might be two for it us. Might be a, yeah, it might be a 2-hour megasode. It might be two for us that we kind of combined to one for you. I don't know. We're still figuring this out. This is episode one. Yeah. We're still, we're, we're getting along with this. Thanks for listening. Next episode, all the light we cannot see. 